Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast for film fans by film fans. Every episode, we look at films old and new to choose what should be preserved for all time in our movie vault. With lively topics, big questions, and crazy challenges to entertain us and our guests, we always look to have fun by giving you the topics worth discussing and the movies worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a preview of what to expect in today's episode. She heard that a birthday party for his daughter, Little Miss Baby, was... <laughs> Little Miss Baby! <laughs> Little Miss Baby's the best one. I know I've lost this one, because <laughs> I haven't even sent it yet, because I can't type from laughing. Hello and welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the topics worth discussing and the movies worth watching. I'm your host, David Osger. Coming out to all of you mixes, misters, and little misses, including our very own Mr. Snooty, Craig McDonald. What the f***? <laughs> of all the Mr. Men you could choose, I was, I was expecting so. I, I was expecting something to be like aggressive or angry, like in like just Mr. Grumpy or whatever. But Mr. Snooty, what the <laughs> hell is wrong with you? I did think Mr. Grumpy, but. At the same time, Craig, you can't deny if you... I think I'm going to up the level in which I'm going to insult Craig, because I'd be going so much about like how aggressive and angry he is. No, I'm now just going to call him an outright snob. Because, yeah, that's a great way to maintain a working, healthy relationship. Yeah, I'll just go with another facet to Craig. Craig, you can't deny... another facet of my... The guy has a long nose, a monocle, and a top hat. Exactly. You, I, I think Craig would rock a monocle and a top hat if you had that. On a regular basis. <laughs> I think you would. I think you would wear a monocle if you could. Uh, so, uh, anyway, I'll quickly move on to our other guest. Uh, Craig is clearly Mr. Grumpy slash Mr. Snooty. Uh, so, yeah, joining us today uh, are more members of the Well Good Movies family. So we've given them their little nicknames as well, as it does help, as we've got two very similar named guests. So our own Little Miss Helpful, we have Kelly Bishop. Hello, Kelly. Hello, my lovelies. How are we doing? Doing good. Uh, there was a lot of options for yourself, Kelly. Uh, obviously, you know, there's Little Miss Sunshine, as you know, we're talking about today. There is, I think there's like a new one. There's like Little Miss, like... Well, there's Little Miss Wise as well. I saw Little Miss Tidy. I know, I know you could be one for keeping things clean and tidy as well. So this one encompassed everything. It's, it's you know, the, the Hermione Granger vibe we, we often talk about. Yeah, the, the mum of the group, the helpful <laughs> friend. I've always got something that anyone needs. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, also joining us is... Uh, our guest who helped choose this film today from one of our previous end games and she's often there laughing away at our jokes and our other guests so who else could we name her after than little miss giggles <laughs> shelly taylor fair enough i was waiting <laughs> when you said little miss helpful i was like well that's not me <laughs> <laughs> hello how hello. are you 
there was little miss mean if we did go with a crazy nights it could have been little miss mean <laughs> i think craig would have been happier if i if i had a uh, a negative connotation one as well <laughs> sorry mr snooty <laughs> i mean we're not leaving david out of this so what i've done is i've chosen <laughs> I've chosen what I've chosen a couple of uh, Mr. Men that David could be uh, because at the moment he is named as David. You'll want to bleep this uh, as Mr. Um, uh, so, so Kelly and Shelley, uh, which of these do we think that David should be for the rest of this episode? Is he Mr. Chatterbox, Mr. Daydream, or Mr. Wrong? <laughs> Oh, they're good choices. I feel like, Craig, I've friendly bullied you for nearly two years on this podcast now. Mm -hmm. I've put you through watching an abundant... I've put you through watching The Waterboy. So I'm going to go with Mr. Wrong. I'll let Craig decide, seeing as uh, he's been forced to be Mr. Grumpy. I mean, Kelly, what do you think? <laughs> I think I'd I'd go with the majority as much as often Dave and I do agree. Sometimes he is just wrong. <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. And I just I yeah, I get things wrong and I get mixed up. So I'm happy with that. Like I said, most of them were pretty I, I was half expecting like Mr. Small or something again to go back to that sketch which I always talk to Shelley about where she imagined me as like a little tiny person on Craig's shoulder <laughs> telling him what to do. I mean, David I also tried. Up, I was just going to say I never ended up writing that one. Perhaps I should go back to it. <laughs> David did try. Show. David did try influencing me, being like, "Oh, there is Mr. Skinny," and I was just like, well, "No, that's that is quite nice for you, David." <laughs> You called me a twig not long ago, so I was like... Yeah, well, you called me that. snooty, so shut up. <laughs> Everyone at home is just like, this is definitely Mr. Grumpy. Uh, yes, we will be talking today about Little Miss Sunshine, which is why I brought up, you know, the Mr. Men franchise, obviously. You know, what, what better way to, to bring in that classic book series than when you're talking about a completely unrelated film. You know, we... We're talking about this film as this one that Shelley uh, challenged us to watch and dedicate an episode to uh, because uh, her and Lucy won the Christmas Endgame. Uh, originally, uh, Shelley did uh, give us eight crazy nights, uh, but again, seasonal changes, but also you, you, you didn't want to go through that, that one either. So No, I thought I'd put, I'd put Craig through enough as well, <laughs> and myself. I mean, I don't know why I challenged myself to watch every Adam Sandler film. Yeah, I was um, going to say that just sounds like a basic sense of mercy to me. I I don't know. I I maybe it's yeah. It's what's it called? Like not self-flagellation, but self-hatred. <laughs> self-hatred to put myself through it. I was going to do all the Nicolas Cage ones at some point as well, but I know that you'd want me to, to talk about it. I'm <laughs> not ready for it yet. Which is they're waiting in the wings. Like what? Well. Yeah, there's quite a few, you know, other good reasons to talk about this film. So coincidentally, you know, it is celebrating its 15th anniversary this year uh, as it did, uh, I think, it initially premiered back in July, 26th of July, 2006. I think it came out officially in the US on the 18th of August. And also, you know, you got stars such as Tony Collette, who's currently in Dream Horse, which I'm sure... You know, we'll all be watching, especially uh, to get that good old uh, Welsh representation in there. See how, see how, if any of uh, 
any of the stars butcher the accents. Hopefully the people who are actually Welsh don't. But yeah, this is obviously just a feel-good film as well, and it's Little Miss Sunshine. So we thought, you know, we'll wait until the sunshine comes, and we're here in the summer talking about this uh, film. So yeah, giggles. <laughs> uh, walk us through a bit more about, you know, what what this film uh, means to you. Why did you choose it? Why did you want to talk about it? Yeah, I think I saw it for the first time like 2008, like my first year of uni. Um, and I just absolutely loved it. Like when you see a film and you're just like, oh, this is, I'm going to be a big fan of this, rewatching it over and over and over. Um, I also then in 2011, I did a master's in script writing and we had to do like a really big, almost a dissertation length essay on a film. And I chose Little Miss Sunshine. So I spent a lot of time watching and kind of analyzing it and Often when you do something like that for uni or for work, it, it kind of detracts from it a bit, like you you overwatch it or you overanalyze it, but it didn't, it, it just made me love it more. Um, and so, yeah, and it's just, like you said before, it's my um, uplifting, happy, feel-good films. So whenever everything seems to be going wrong, you can stick it on and, and know that you can overcome and this too shall pass it's that kind of that kind of vibe to me i just love it yeah and, and similarly helpful <laughs> what, what a nickname uh, so uh you you have you know a strong link to this film as well and coincidentally is one of the films you would have chosen uh for the sort of winning challenged film uh, along with death of stalin when we did the christmas end game so uh, kelly what what's your sort of experiences with it why, why did you want to talk about it today yeah so I I saw it a lot later it was one of those DVDs that was sort of in someone's collection and I was like oh I'll, I'll watch that while I'm here and immediately fell in love with it the I love anything that's centered around a family I think family dramas are so interesting because you've got all these different relationships that play out over the course of a film plus you've got like everyone's so detailed like even down to just these small minute details where you're just like, oh, wouldn't have caught that the first time around. You watch it again and there's things you can pick up. Plus just as a plus size person seeing this like plus size child go into a beauty pageant and coming out, not necessarily on top, but doing what makes her happy, no matter the, the social standing. I just, it's so heartwarming. And it's very much one of those sort of happy movies again for me. Yeah, I think that's, you know, but both those experiences, you know, are, are quite similar to me in that at university, it was always one of those films you saw, like the poster, especially them running onto the bus. It's one that stands out. It's got a very kind of awards, you know, kind of poster of, you know, showing all the characters and, you know, stands out with the bright yellow and the camper van and everything. So you just see that and you think, oh, you know, that looks fun. So I remember watching it around that time in university. And I guess in some ways it was one of those sort of early indie family road trip kind of films because you then tended to get a lot more films that followed that, which were of a similar kind of style and tone in terms of taking like these bigger stars, which some of them maybe at the time weren't as big, but putting them into a more grounded, realistic situation. And then ever since, I think that we've had quite a lot of films that have been similar to that, dealing with a lot of similar topics. So I guess it kind of 
faded from my view for quite a few years. So that's why I was happy to sort of revisit it for this uh, because it sort of reawoke all those themes and those great moments that happen within it, especially because you do see it a lot within writing and video essays, bringing it up about the strong themes that it has and bringing it up as a great example of, you know, a, a road trip film or, you know, a great feel-good film, etc. And there's so many great lines within within this. Uh, Craig, have you got any, like, specific experiences with it? So I saw the film for the first time this morning. <laughs> um, for everyone at home, uh, Kelly is looking at me as if with a very polite smile, which is just, oh, Jesus Christ, I need to cut ties. Uh, Shelly was just gobsmacked. Yeah, so I think for me, it's just about my relationship with films at the time. It has nothing to do against the quality of this film. It is literally just about when it came out and my relationship with film. And then when I actually did get into a regular routine of watching films, uh, especially ones which sort of come under this sort of genre of like the indie style and like the topics they want to discuss. I also just wasn't in the mindset of basically going back and revisiting films. So it would take a lot to basically get me to go back and, and revisit something. Uh, so this episode was a good op- uh, opportunity for that. Obviously, just because of the, uh, for all the reasons David said about, I was aware of the film. Um, I had no idea exactly to what realms it would go uh, in terms of some of the themes. Um, so I found, I found that quite striking, especially some of the, Im- uh, some of the imagery within the film itself. I probably am going to have a strong connection with this film going forward because there was a there was a lot about this film that I just found striking and fascinating. Yeah, it's going to make for a great conversation today as we discuss it, as we break it down, uh, talk about its legacy and those important themes that we were just sort of touching on uh, just then. And of course, we'll uh, go to our usual segment, which is the movie vault. So we'll discuss whether this film deserves to go into the movie vault and we'll have our ever fun end game. Frank, tell him it's dinner time. Well, you don't talk anymore? You can talk, you just choose not to. Is that Nietzsche? You don't speak because of Friedrich Nietzsche. Far out. What's that, chicken? Every night is chicken. Holy God almighty. Is it possible just once you could get something to eat for dinner around here that's not the damn chicken? Hey, Dad. I'm just saying. Dad. How did it happen? How did what happen? Your accident. <clears throat> Uncle Frank didn't really have an accident. He tried to kill himself. Why? I wanted to kill myself because I was very He's unhappy. He's a sick man. He's a sick in his head man. Richard! I don't think it's an appropriate conversation for a seven-year-old. Well, she's going to find out anyway. Oh, okay. Why were you unhappy? I fell in love with someone <laughs> who didn't love me back. Who? One of my grad students. I was very much in love with him. Him? You fell in love with the boy? Very much so. That's silly. There's another word for it. Dad. There is a message on the machine. Something about little Mrs. Sunshine. Little Miss Sunshine? Yeah. What? Remember when Olive was runner-up in the regional Little Miss Sunshine? That's the girl who won. Had to forfeit her crown. I don't know why. Something about diet pills, but anyway. Now she has a place in the state contest in Redondo Beach. Little Miss Sunshine, as I said earlier, came out on 26th of July 2006 uh, on a limited release. Uh, it was an overwhelming box office success. It earned 
over 101 million and was praised mainly for the performances, the screenplay, the humor. So it was nominated for a lot of awards, including in the Academy. So that included Best Picture. Uh, It won two awards, which was Best Original Screenplay and for Best Supporting Actor for Alan Arkin. Uh, It also won the Independent Spirit Award for Best Feature and received numerous other accolades. In the film, as we mentioned, this is a family determined to get their young daughter into the finals of a beauty pageant. They go on a cross-country trip in their VW bus to make their way to California. It stars Abigail Breslin as Olive, Greg Kinnear as Richard, Paul Dano as Dwayne, Alan Arkin as Grandpa, Tony Collette as Cheryl, and Steve Carell as Frank. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack in this film. There's so many great moments. And Shelley, or giggles, <laughs> uh, you've told us about obviously your general feelings to it, but what do you think of it as you know a film? What are the standout moments for you? And you know what, what are your favourite parts of it? I just want to briefly touch back to the script because that was my favourite <clears throat> thing about it and that's why I chose to write about it for the script writing uh, essay is um, it was written by Michael Arndt and it was kind of his first big writing project. He then went on to write Toy Story 3 and The Force Awakens. So he's a good writer. Um, <laughs> well, for Toy Story 3, I saw Craig's face there about The Force Awakens, but I'll ignore him. Mr. Grumpy, Mr. Snooty. <laughs> Both. The Snooty does is coming out, yes. <laughs> but um, yeah, so he actually. Uh, fought really hard for the script because some of the producers wanted the script to focus on Richard, the dad, and he was like, no, 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 it needs to center around Olive. And um, the original producers fired him and brought in someone to rewrite it. And then uh, I think it was Mark Turtletaub who plays one of the doctors in the hospital, which I'll talk about my favorite moment in the film, which I think is probably many people's, one of their favorite moments. he, uh, he basically paid uh, to get Michael back on board because it was his original idea um, to just tweak it. And then he paid, it was uh, filmed for a budget of $8 million. And um, Mark Turtletaub basically paid that himself. Like he really believed in it and wanted it to happen. So I, I love the fact that it's like a passion project as well. Um, so yeah, my, my favorite bit is, um, when okay spoilers grandpa dies about halfway through the film of a heroin overdose which he's snorting uh because he's got a little bit like yolo and (laughs) um, he says at my age you'd be stupid not to Um, (laughs) um and so they are told that because they're on they're sort of halfway to california at this point they're told they can't cross state lines with the body and they need to stay there with him um and so that kind of would put a halt in their journey their road trip um and so what they do is distract the hospital staff and steal his body out of the window and then uh, escape in their camper van which has a lot of mechanical dysfunctions um i wrote about the the camper van being like another character because it's just got so much character it you know it won't stop beeping it, um, it breaks down, so you have to start it in second gear, so they have to kind of teamwork to get the van going. So it's just this ludicrous moment where, but you're fully on board with them. Like, 
you're like, yeah, I'd, I'd help them steal this dead body so that Olive can go and be in her beauty pageant. Um, yeah, so that's probably my favorite moment. And then there's a moment later where um, Dean Norris, who is Hank from Breaking Bad, so you've got um, two Breaking Bad characters in it as well. Uh, you've got, what's his face? Brian, Brian Cranston. Thank you, sorry. <laughs> so he plays Stan Grossman, who's Richard's would-be publisher. But also, yeah, Dean Norris uh, is like a state policeman and stops them. And uh, he says, can I check, check out your trunk? And obviously grandpa is in the trunk. <laughs> but luckily, Frank, the, uh, the gay uncle of Olive, Cheryl's brother, has uh, bought some dirty magazines for him and grandpa and they fall out and kind of distract him. So they're all just kind of like sat, not saying anything, um, hoping that this police trooper doesn't notice the dead body that they're smuggling over state lines. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's a lot of um, ludicrous moments, but you really go on the journey and, and they take you there. You're like, you can't go there, but then they do. And I love that. And they say like, as, as the policeman's approaching, he goes, just everyone just pretend to be normal. And I think that's my favorite line from the film. <laughs> yeah, I actually wrote that down when I was rewatching it. Just, yeah, that idea of like, pretend to be normal, which is so it's like one of the main characters admitting we are not normal, even despite the situation. And I think you're led quite well to that situation because it starts the film, doesn't it? Like showing you each individual character. So you already know that they're, they're big characters they've all got their own quirks etc and and yeah that's one of my favorite moments as well just for how the police officer plays it as well just in terms of like his face when he's just like <laughs> smiling he's like don't worry i won't tell them and all this kind of stuff and just it's like i'm glad that shelly said about the camper van being like its own character because i was yeah. watching the film just being like i've decided my favorite character is just the van yeah um just just the fact that I think my favorite thing about that scene, obviously all of that tension is great, but just the fact that in the background of all of it, it's just this poor camper van who's struggling for all of this, just going like. <laughs> I love I was the just... when it first starts doing it and there's people driving past them and he's like, I can't get it to stop through the window. Like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like the way I describe the camper van is just an existential nightmare. <laughs> it's, it's like it carries all of their pain with it and, and vocalizes it. Ah, ah. <laughs> yeah, love it. Um, other things I love about the film, as Kelly said, like it's an amazing ensemble and uh, character piece work, but you follow each individual journey from beginning to end, but it all just interweaves with each other. It's really well written. I love the 60s slash 70s aesthetic. So like at one point, Olive's playing one of those little slider puzzles of like the happy face, like the yellow happy face. And yeah, just the general dysfunction of absolutely everyone. Like this is normal. And they say everyone pretend to be normal. Actually, dysfunction is normal. And that's I think that's why the film strikes a chord with well, here, everyone who's watched it, and I think a lot of people love this film for the same reason. Yeah, that's a great moment from Frank as well, isn't it? When he points out, you know, it's those more chaotic moments in life which tend to be the most memorable when you're, you know, enjoying yourself more. And he's like, oh, well, better time than when you're in school, etc. So the film almost plays to that by saying, you can imagine the family years later going like, oh my God, do you remember that time when... 
know, we had to run into the camper van and stuff. So even though it's a stressful situation at that time, you can completely relate. I think that's what's so good about like road trip films. And as Kelly was saying as well, like family films is that you can relate to these scenarios because you might have had something similar happen in your life or you're watching it going, you know, that that's my family, you know, right there or something, you know, you can you can relate in some way or form. Kelly, uh, what are some of your favorite moments? I think those moments are phenomenal. They make me laugh every time. But my my two favorite moments both involve ice cream. Um, so basically once they first started on their road trip, they stop at a diner and it really enforces their like money struggles. They're all allowed to order something that's under $4. And Olive decides to go for a waffle as she refers to it, a la Modi, which she finds out is with ice cream. And her dad tries to convince her not to eat the ice cream because it'll make her fat because those girls in Miss America aren't fat. And it it catches you off guard initially because you're like, okay, he doesn't like losers. But then he's equating losers. You can't win Miss America if you're fat. But then to twist it on its head when it arrives, the whole, the rest of the family all reach over with spoons and start to eat it. And that makes her feel a little bit left out. And they're all saying how much they're enjoying it. And she takes it back. She smiles again. She starts eating ice cream. And I just, there's a little bit of me that's just like, that's so lovely to see her family just supporting her being her and how she is and doing what she wants. There's a lovely quote at the very end of the film of where Cheryl's talking to Dwayne and Richard who are trying to say, don't let Olive go on stage where they say she is who she is. She's poured everything into this. We can't take it away from her. We've got to let Olive be Olive. And that's very much the whole thing is everyone's just trying to let Olive be Olive and find her own path and her own journey. So later on, when they get to the hotel where they're hosting the pageant, when they finally get a, they're able to sign Olive in, they find out that Miss California is there and Olive goes over and gets a little signature and asks Miss America whether, well, Miss California, whether she eats ice cream. And it's this really nice callback to that initial scene. And Miss California's like, yeah, I love um, Cherry Garcia, which she thinks is a frozen yogurt, but it's like, it's similar thing. And it's this really nice moment for Olive to be like, I can do that and still win this pageant. This nice little circular moment. And her leaving that table and turning to Cheryl and saying, Mum, she eats ice cream. I cry every time and I don't know why, but it catches me in my little heart. (laughs) She eats ice cream. It's so cute. Yeah, there's many times like that in films, which is, again, it's not always has to be like the death or like something sad happens. It's just that like notion of something which you're like, oh, you know, like, so yeah, I, I, I completely understand that. And I think that, yeah, it's a great callback, but also it's nice for the character as well that they don't go, because what I like about the film is that it doesn't play, you know, heroes and villains, you know, they just have these realistic people that come throughout the, like the tech guy who's just like, it's just five minutes. It's like, that's as the audience, you're thinking that you're like, it's just five minutes. And that's, I think, quite relatable that it, in a realistic situation, you wouldn't have the entire crew there being like, no, you know, like, yeah, you might have that one 
arsey person, but the fact that that guy is there willing to to get on board with it, I think makes sense. And it's the same with Miss California. They don't paint her as just this typical like spoiled brat. And she's enjoying Olive's performance as well. And I was kind of like, do we want to see some sort of like reaction from her at the end? But I was like, well, no, because that would kind of undercut the idea of like, be happy with what you've done. And, you know, the the happiness of yourself and your family is enough. You don't need that kind of verification from someone else. But I, I, I did like the out of the panel Miss California was sort of like they dancing along when when all it was. Importantly, that technician second best character in the film. The <laughs> fact that you have all of these like arsy parents dragging their daughters out during Olive's performance, and like once it's finished, he's the one who's he's like the one clapping. I was just like, yeah, I like this guy. Derby. <laughs> yeah. Then you have that beautiful rocker in the audience being like, woo, yeah. <laughs> Another of my favourite moments is, I, I do like the really little poignant moments. It's when Dwayne's just found out that he's colourblind. Oh my God. And, yeah. Um, yeah, and obviously they've lost grandpa and, and all of that. And um, and he says, I hate all of you. You're all losers, which is obviously one of their greatest fears in this film to begin with. And then, you know, they all try and convince him and none of them can convince him. And then Olive just goes down just puts her arm around him doesn't say anything and he goes okay sorry let's go and he you know he puts his own because that's a huge traumatic thing i mean he's taken a vow of silence for however many months days so that he can eventually have the uh the ability to be a fighter pilot and he wants to kind of test himself um but yeah, that's ripped away from him. He breaks his vow of silence and it's like his world crumbles. And so he, but he realizes, you know, this is about Olive now. And um, she's our, our last chance to not be losers kind of thing, if that makes sense. And actually the way she brings herself across in the pageant after she's had her moment, there's a really sad moment where she's kind of checking herself in the swimming costume and she like sucks her tummy in. And I thought, my God, she's like eight or seven or six even. And I remember being, you know, before puberty and sucking my tummy in. And that's ridiculous. And no child should feel like that. No one should feel like that. So, yeah, I think at the end of the film, they all realize they're winners because they've been brought closer as a family. They're a unit. They're a team. Um, and, yeah, I just I love that aspect of it, the, the poignancy of the familial moments. But yeah, that, that bit between Dwayne and Arnold is so sweet. There's a really lovely detail when he goes back to the camper van and there's a sign in the background which says, United We Stand. So it's oh. like him going back to the family and they become that unit again. And it's this really like nice little poignant moment of that in the background. Yeah. Um, as he's coming back and making that choice to be with, be with his family. Um, also, really fun fact I found, I had a little research for um, Little Miss Sunshine a little while ago. Um, now, I don't know whether this was the case in 2006, but colorblind pilots can actually fly. Um, yeah. They just can't fly at night or use color signal control. So he'd probably still be a pilot, but probably not a fighter pilot. Ah, okay. It would be interesting if that had changed since 2006. Yeah like to think that little miss sunshine changed that 
I will say Richard's development throughout the film was probably my favorite to watch because obviously him just starting out with this very, very rigid sort of horrific view of winners and losers. Um, and you basically just watch throughout the film that he just has to accept that he's, he basically has to accept that under his old ideals that he is a loser, but that that's not really where the victory sort of lie in. So that's why when he's the first person to actually stand up and start clapping along to all his performance, I was just like, yeah, this is like the best pinnacle moments. Yeah, and right, also, at, the, right yeah. at the beginning, he's one of the first people to be like, can you win? Yeah. That's the only reason we'll go. We can't fly, so we'll have to drive. Like, he's very resistant. But after Grandpa's death, you get this change, this sort of flip of a switch, where he's like, we haven't driven this way for nothing. We have to go and do this now for Olive. And it comes back to that idea of the script being about Olive. And even though all of these characters have their own path and their own journeys, Olive is that central him that keeps them all together yeah yeah i do find i do find it fantastic that as a family film goes what they basically do is just put every major character uh every character in that family under some like major sort of existential crisis and and basically just show how they're willing to sort of sacrifice uh like sacrifice essentially their ways out of those issues just to ensure that like olive never falls in uh never falls into that um, I think that's the sort of beauty of the uh, beauty of the film for me. Just watching the just watching those interactions and sacrifices play out, even to the point that what I love noticing throughout the film is that the ways in which they push the uh, the ways in which they push the van to get it started massively differ throughout the film. So obviously, at the beginning, it's the sort of slug that uh, like that you would imagine, and it's sort of very rigid. And then at the end, they are basically just enjoying it and having fun. Although they smash through the barrier at the end, several <laughs> times. Although one of my favourite scenes is basically a joke that I made, and then it actually happened in the film. It's like, oh god, it act- was um when they left the gas station and they <laughs> and they've driven <laughs> off. I, I just look in the van and I'm just I I thought she was like sleeping on the side, so I said, hey guys, you forgot your daughter. How irresponsible is that? <laughs> and then and then Dwayne writes, I know it was like, where's Olive? And I was like, wait, they actually forgot Olive. <laughs> where's Olive? <laughs> And the fact they have, like, to, they have to drive back and they're like, right, Olive, get the van. Yeah, they're not stopping the van. They just drag <laughs> her in in a drive-by. And she's just, like, cool with it. She's like, ah, they, well, they came back for me. I would not <laughs> want to have been a bystander at that gas station and be like, <laughs> um... And it's Frank yelling, I've got her, I've got her. Like, if you were a bystander hearing <laughs> that, a van has driven up, grabbed a child and gone again. for olive i think that yeah when she's like just waiting there she's just like oh yeah they've got me again or like you know they'll they'll come back but i think like craig said it also shows how they've developed as characters so the fact that frank is there like come on honey you know like you know before maybe he would have been like oh i i can't do that shows how they've changed as characters as this entire road trip goes on and that's what I like about the film is that they never they never turn it into like, you know, spoilt or anything like that is that we might get onto this with the hero's journey stuff. But the fact that she's not like a proactive part of the story in terms of like pushing things, she's just like the reason that all the other characters do what they do. So the fact that they are a family unit and it stays as a family film, but she's just the core of it 
but because she's the child, but it's never that like she's stomping and putting her foot down and saying, I want to do this or I want to do that. It's just the fact that they are all kind of like relying on her to better themselves. So as you said, Shelley, with that moment with Dwayne, again, she just comes over, puts her head on him. And again, he's just doing it for her um, because he knows that just at the end of the day, by having someone just comfort him in that simple way, he just realizes his responsibility as a brother and just realizes I can't stay here in the middle of the desert. So, yeah, I think that the fact that that happens so many times throughout the film as well, and just the way they evolve, I think with uh, the fact that Grandpa originally starts off as a character who's just so like you see taking drugs, effing and blinding. He like is shouting about the, the the chicken at the start, and like Frank again is like very disturbed by by that when he comes in and he's like very aggressive. But the moment you said about Shelley, uh, sorry, <laughs> Kelly, <laughs> where the ice cream, when he's the first one to do that, like, oh, well, I'm going to eat all this ice cream to myself. That's probably the first time I, I can think in my head that you do see the softer side of him. And then from there on in, you know, he he's like there for his son. And I think that that's a big changing moment for Richard in which, like he says, you know, I'm, I'm still proud of you, son. And you kind of expect like a joke or something to come after it. And you're just like, oh, no, it was like a sincere moment. So the fact that he's quite sincere and nice from that moment on. It's like an extended family, but they're all shoved into this little bus. <laughs> and yeah, so it forces all of these issues to come out. Yeah. And I think, it, again, it's just the, the cleverness of the script that even, again, they're not being on the nose about like, this is who this person is. This is... So there's moments, of course, where he's kind of like, oh, I know what I would call it when he's talking about the relationship he has with one of his grad students, et cetera. But then later on, you know, I won't say it, but like the fact that he's like, oh, get one of your rags or something like that when he's asking him to buy the porno magazines. I'm like, well, you know, they're not being too on the nose of like, he's just outwardly homophobic or anything. So he, he's obviously saying like, not a very nice word, but I guess in his own way, at least he's been accepting of him by saying you could buy your own magazine that will please you in your own way. So he's not being like, you know, completely, uh, you know, denying him kind of thing, which so it that's again goes back to what I was saying earlier, just about realistic people, realistic characters. And I think that that's why Olive is just a very realistic, normal child. She isn't this kind of like, you know, big, overly happy, overly cheesy character because they could have easily made her like an unlikable character. You say that grandpa's a realistic character. I do have to question how many grandpas we know that for beauty child pageants across America would teach their teach their granddaughter stripper dances. I do have to question that. Oh, it's just a bit of burlesque. But at the same time, how many mothers are at the pageant? And this is, this is the thing about the pageant. It's like the juxtaposition between uh, a burlesque striptease to super freak and barely their clothing and this over sexualization of children with the big hair and the makeup and olive's not wearing big hair and makeup she's just doing the moves the grandpa taught her and it's almost like it's innocent in her brain and he's just i don't know he's just you know he's on drugs and he's he's happy <laughs> yeah i and know he, i mean yeah he's he's definitely the mentor character in in a weird way that's why i wanted to talk about the hero's journey because it it subverts it so much but it also really fits it but yeah in its own weird weird way but no i get what you mean 
Yeah, I think it's that that line between what you were saying earlier about them taking the body out of the hospital is like it's like when things then go extreme or bizarre, which could only like happen in a film, maybe. So it's so to me, it kind of comes across as that like, you know, like that, you know, the song like Big Butts and stuff. You can imagine like a grandpa like doing a silly dance at like a wedding or something to that. So it's that kind of like affectionate, silly dance he's teaching, whether he like encouraged her to do a full burlesque thing, I don't know. But like, it kind of seems like a grandpa thing to do like, yeah, wiggle your butt and all that kind of stuff. But maybe she took on some of the more suggestive elements of it. But yeah, I think that that's where, but it it comes through eventually, like Shelley said about the the actual message and the the differences and similarities between the other other sort of beauty queens and stuff like that. Yeah, like it fully supports the beauty pageant industry as in the the organizers but then suddenly when a child is almost doing it in a self-aware way that's not okay and that's disgusting and I don't want my children to see that and it's yeah it makes the a point on the actual issue with child beauty pageants. I I, I thought it was a fantastic touch because I think it would have been all, I think it would have been just too idealistic and perfect if she basically did some form of, to their conception of a realistic performance, to the point that I think it did need to do, uh, it did need to basically do something which would just essentially piss off the organisers, because then that basically is the final moment of like fam- uh, familial solidarity, the fact that they all then basically rush to the stage to dance with, uh, to dance with Olive. Um, is exactly what, even though they all know, well, yeah, basically this means that she's being kicked out, um, but we're not going to... grandpa's final kind of F the system. Yeah, but also uh, just the fact that some horrible mother started booing her, I think yeah. I think they had to basically jump yeah. to their defence. Oh, I love another favourite moment is when the, uh, the host goes, uh, Olive beckons him over and goes, I'd like to dedicate this this dance to my grandpa who taught me these moves <laughs> and the, where is he now honey in the trunk of our car <laughs> it's like it's okay. so good <laughs> that host terrified me he he gave me major i think the stanley tucci based his performance in hunger games off this guy that sees a flickerman like the, the smile all the time i was like this guy is terrifying and anytime those kids came on stage as Again, because I think I looked it up, they were real beauty pageant, you know, participants. And uh, yeah, because, you know, who else would be willing to put their child through that? But uh, yeah, anytime they came on, I was just like, oh, like that. I find them terrifying, like the way they do those smiles. And like, yeah, when you walk in and that girl's getting like spray tan, I'm like, ah, this rakes me mad. So, you know, I'm fully there with, uh, you know, Dwayne and (laughs) maybe not so much Richard, but when he's singing to all the contestants and then he gets to, they're all like grinning and happy and pretending this is normal. And then he gets to Olive and she's just like side-eyeing him and like, what the hell is this? I just came here to dance. (laughs) So, yeah. The fact that those are like their proper costumes as well. They, They weren't like a costume choice. They would just come to the pageant, bring what you'd normally bring. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's terrifying. The hero's journey is like your kind of one of the most classic, um, especially fantasy films. A lot of them follow this hero's journey. It's it's like a seventeen step um, storyline, but it can it can be shifted 
and subverted, which I think that um, Little Miss Sunshine does. So I'll just go through like the 17 points and then see if you agree with me uh, about like what point in the film matches which or if you think it's different because I kind of yeah it's obviously the 17 points but um I think the last four of them it squishes together so it won't be that long the third act so the first the first point is the call to action which is uh say in Lord of the Rings it's Frodo meeting Gandalf it's the call to adventure um so this is obviously the phone call the message where um Little Miss Albuquerque or whatever it was has had to drop out and Olive got to the finals of Little Miss Sunshine. So this is her call to action. Kind of agree with that? That kind of sets the, the film off. And then there's refusal of the call, which is the first point at which it subverts it, I think, because the hero is meant to hesitate, whereas Olive is obviously just screaming. She won't stop screaming <laughs> um, with joy. And... Um, Whereas all the adults are trying to work out the logistics, like, oh, we can't afford to fly. I can't drive stick in the van. Well, we can't leave Frank on his own because he's suicidal. Well, I'm not leaving Dwayne with him. And so in the end, and they're like, well, grandpa can stay. And he's like, no, I wouldn't miss this for the world. So in the end, uh, they kind of overcome that refusal to, uh, of the call. Uh, so that's step two. Step three is supernatural aid. So the hero receives assistance. Um, so this is like your Yoda, your Dumbledore or whatever. Um, but I think in this case, it's like the entire family. I think they're all there to help Olive. And that's, you know, that's why she's the hero and the central figure of the film. Um, step four is crossing the threshold. So going from normal life into this unknown world which i guess is them in the bus on the road um unfamiliar world where the rules and dangers are unknown so they don't know that all this stuff's about to go wrong and happen to them they just think well we've got to drive 800 miles we'll get there and she'll perform and, and then we'll come back they don't realize the journey they're about to go on step five is called belly of the whale which is kind of the end of act one and for me well, this is where the hero first gets challenged, the first real point of danger as to whether or not they're going to be able to complete their quest or their journey. And I, I figured this was when the van breaks down the first time and they think, you know, well, we've no other way to get there. Um, but then the mechanic kind of gives them this idea of, well, you can start it in seconds, these old buses, and you just got to give them a, a push. Step six is the road of trials. It's usually like the hero is tested and there's usually like a set of three tasks for the hero to overcome. And they'll usually fail at least one of the tests. And the hero learns to use his or her allies to help them on their quest. Again, I think the trials are kind of taken on here by the adults uh, to protect Olive in a way. Um, you could say that the ice cream moment that you love, Kelly, is one of Olive's trials. Uh, step seven is meeting the goddess, so like Galadriel, that kind of thing, uh, who's a great advisor. Um, so I saw this as um, possibly Olive's pep talk from Grandpa, where she says, like, I'm, I'm not beautiful in, when they're in the hotel room. And it's their last, their last scene together. It's his last thing 
that he tells her because then you see him going into the bathroom to snort his heroin and then he overdoses so um he reassures her he kind of it's funny he says i'm madly in love with you and it's not because you're intelligent it's because you're beautiful <laughs> and that kind of thing so he kind of um you know we know she's an intelligent little girl but she actually needed that that love from her grandfather to say well i think you're beautiful and if you think you're beautiful that's all that matters so i think that's that's him being the great advisor there are other moments like i put in um when she meets miss california i think she advises her and, and uh and helps her there your mom she eats ice cream step eight is the temptation so the hero is torn they must overcome or avoid temptation it can be temptation to remain in comfort and they have to decline it and press forward nobly facing danger again um taken on by the adults and i think it's olive who has to convince them to press on because you know she's she probably would at this point she sees them all in pain she probably would go home but they're like no because what's the point as richard says why have we come all this way if not to to support olive step nine is the atonement with the father so that's the moment of like emotional catharsis in the film and um the emotional climax of the story and i think this is the loss of grandpa when they're in the hospital this leads into step 10 which is apotheosis which is the death of the former life of the hero and moving on into their stronger role and I think the apotheosis kind of happens to all of the characters when they just decide, all right, we're going to take the body and carry on with this journey. Uh, greater perspectives achieved. You know, they say, well, grandpa would have wanted her to still compete. We're, we're going we're gonna to do this. Uh, step 11 is the ultimate boon in which the hero is victorious. It's the physical climax of the story. Um, a lot of people say it's the MacGuffin, if you know what that is, from Hitchcock. Um, because ultimately it doesn't actually matter because it's the hero's journey we're after. But at this point it would be like in Lord of the Rings where the ring's destroyed. At that point it kind of doesn't matter to us because we care about Frodo and Sam so much, you know. Uh, so the mission's accomplished, the world can rest easy knowing that it's safe from evil. So I didn't know about this bit but I've put it's them arriving at the pageant and then being allowed to compete. So in their world, everything's right because that's what they've been rushing for. You know, they, the, van, the van door falls off because they're rushing so much to get in. And I love the little moment with Steve Carell kind of walk running through all of the, um, the revolving doors and things. The refusal of return. Now, this is the start of the journey home usually, but I put this as like it says a return to normal life seems strange now this is the beginning of the third act and it still contains conflict i thought this was maybe when uh Dwayne and frank come in and say to olive please don't please don't compete or you know i don't uh sorry to cheryl uh please don't compete i don't want her to be amongst these people uh step 13 is the magic flight so the hero is transported they must get out alive from the peril that they're in, often with help of individuals they've met along the way. So to me, this is the moment of her in her dance, 
everyone getting angry and the whole family joining with her to protect her from that exterior judgment. And actually, well, these people don't think you're normal, but you know, we love you and we're here with you and we're gonna dance and be silly with you and be a child. All of these children are dressed up like adults and wearing, you know, 40 year old lady makeup, but no, you're a child. And you know, at this point, she's not even taking her clothes off. She's just spinning around and getting dizzy and doing like little star jumps on the, it's very innocent, I think. Um, yeah, so that I think is the magic flight, the heroes transported, uh, Olive's transported by her family uh, to safety by then joining in with her and getting her out of trouble. And then the last four steps are resolve from without, which is the hero's rescue. Again, you could include that in the dance, uh, but I also thought perhaps it was the police officer uh, having the discussion with that total Karen who runs the, uh, the pageant about, you know, these are the conditions, you're gonna be okay. Um, and then steps 15 through 17 are crossing return threshold, which is homeward bound, the master of two worlds, which is the triumphant return and the freedom to live. And I think all of those are just encompassed in when they all happily push the van and it starts beeping again and they crash through the barrier, much to the chagrin of the woman who organized and hated them, the pageant. And then they drive off into the sunset with the beep, 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 and then the end credits roll. And I usually get quite emotional at that point because it's you know they're all gonna be okay even though they've been through so much i'm getting choked up so yeah i just think it's a beautifully upturned version of what you would usually see the hero's journey in like point by point you can do it with a lot of hero's journey films like i said lord of the rings star wars is very hero's journey to the point but yeah um so that's why I thought applying the hero's journey uh, is important because it's it's such a a well written script and it does follow a formula, but it also says, well, I'm not going to quite follow this formula, um, and that's what the characters do in the film. It makes sense for Michael Arndt as well as a writer because, as you said, he's worked on Star Wars and Toy Story Three, The Hunger Games, so he's worked very much in those kind of like fantasy hero kind of stories as well so that makes sense to his kind of strengths and i think that you know it's just kind of the bread and butter of a lot of like media studies and film theory isn't it you know having your you know antagonist protagonist so there always has to be that kind of arc or hero's journey so it's probably surprising how many places you could find it within like you said and and the one that stood out to me is like saying about the when the family saw come together and they have that collective moment rather than just the one character kind of reminded me of like guardians of the galaxy of the moment of Groot where he's like, we are Groot, you know, you've had this thing build up. I am Groot. And then we are Groot. It's kind of like the same thing with the family. Like we are olive, you know, we are all one. We're all a family unit and we're all silly and. Or united we stand. Yeah. I've never noticed before. I'm going to, look out yeah. for that next time i watch it Kelly. exactly so they're all manic and united in their own way which i think is great yeah i think that like the subversion there is just so because we're so used to that hero's journey a lot of the media that we consume now is those neat three parts 
it's very traditional journey when you think about it having because you can look at it as each time you watch it a different character is your main character and you can read it so differently but when you read it as Olive is your main character the whole story is then protecting her from the outside world while also just like preserving her innocence a little bit it's that that idea with the headphones in the car with them trying to stop her at the pageant it's all about protecting her from those trials that everyone else is having and then she just gets like that little one about ice cream it's not the same as bumping into your your gay lover who drove you to almost ending your own life it's a very different level um alongside that sort of grandpa's death and the atonement of the father you've also got Richard going to see Stan Grossman and trying to like fix things that's him having to try and work something out that's going to change their life in one way and then when that doesn't work he comes back and grandpa's dead and that changes it the entire other way that he wasn't anticipating and I think that's really clever and the way also, oh, sorry um also they kind of atone their relationship as well richard and i think he's called edwin grandpa's real first name I'll just, yeah. yeah i was gonna say even on imdb he's just called credited as grandpa i was like does this guy have a name yeah which shows that olive is our main our main hero i guess so we <clears> see <throat> it from her point of view but yeah um they kind of have that sweet moment where grandpa says you know whatever happens you tried and I'm proud of you. And he puts his hand on his shoulder from behind him in the van. And he sort of goes, thanks, thanks, Dad. A bit awkwardly, but you can tell that he feels it, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, Grandpa's attitude really does touch on every character, I think. So it's interesting because I think the way that I sort of thought about and viewed the film at first, um, definitely from the lens of like Olive as sort of like the main character but I never saw it as Olive is the one who's basically going on this journey I because uh, there's um because uh, like in um, uh, John Truby's book Anatomy of Story he talked uh, he talks about there's like a there's a storytelling technique which is uh, often called the positive uh, flat character arc so it's basically it's not that the main character themselves has like all of this development but it's that character, but basically that character doesn't fundamentally change all that much. It's their relationship with other characters that causes those characters to change. And with so many of these characters basically changing the way in which they, you know, view the world and interact and make the compromises um, in order to protect all of I sort of saw that more. But I'm thinking more now about like when we talked about like uh, Grandpa and some of the stuff that he did, that there's a degree to which he might actually be that character because he let's face it he doesn't really change like he has like a very filled out personality and it is his interactions that basically like cause most people uh cause me most people to shift but like it seems to have transposed onto olive by the end of it because obviously like he's gone his presence is missing in that in that one sense um so yeah i think that's just like a really solid way of of just having like a strong group ensemble piece in which a lot of people just get a lot of that um 
also just the fact that they basically place most of the film within like a massively enclosed space i think just helps a lot of, a lot of those interactions as well yeah that's yeah that's really interesting it could be that because of the closeness of olive and grandpa you know they they go off to olive's room and they train and he's been coaching her and stuff that um and to, up until the point where they do lose grandpa perhaps they are trying to change olive a little bit and then they realize well you know she's got this paternal figure who is totally on her side and is completely himself no matter what <laughs> no matter what anyone else thinks of him or says to him he'll say it as he thinks and as he is and they're like actually you know what he was really influential and that is uh, a good way to to think and to bring up olive and i think cheryl realizes that when she says we've got to let her be olive and and be herself so perhaps she she inherits that role from him yeah when yeah. he dies as well yeah i'd never thought of that before but it just because i because I think it makes sense to me because I think the only major development Olive gets is um, I think as Kelly talked about it, like the importance of like um, just not falling into those like negatives, uh, negative patterns with like being yourself and like the ice cream example. Um, but that that's sort of fully developed in itself in the scene in the restaurant with the, wa uh, with the waffles to the point that like by the end of it, she's happy to eat the ice cream and then it's just affirmed that I was a that was a good choice in uh in that scene with Miss California. So that's not necessarily like an addition to the development. It was just like an it was just like a good strong affirmation piece, which probably does suggest the fact that like it's more just the drive to keep Olive's uh keep Olive safe and keep Olive in this game does motivate everyone else to change for the better. I think it's clever having a young child as that character as well because they are just still developing you know yeah, they are yeah. developing their own character and it's almost yeah the whole family comes together and realize we, we have to protect her from things that could change her in this world into you know we want her to we want to learn from our mistakes and and pass that learning on to olive and and she's our our protege now in terms of being yourself so that's that's kind of the message that they all come together with at the end. I think that, yeah, the fact that she is so young, because like you said, as an adult, you can change year to year, you know, you can change through many things. But as a child, you know, it is just usually that's that's who you are. That's Olive. And, you know, it's kind of telling in other media, you know, like Inside Out, for example, that film wouldn't work if it was told from like a child's point of view. She's a teenager. She's, you know, like transitioning into like a new environment. So she's very like emotional and that kind of stuff. So it makes sense there. And I think that, you know, it shows the strength of the writing that they are able to somewhat use the audience's expectations about beauty pageants to think where the story might go. Because especially at the beginning, you're watching it, watch these beauty pageants. And like Craig said, you get that affirmation by the end, because at the start you think, oh, is she actually obsessed with the beauty and the wonder and the, the glamour, I suppose, of it? But actually, by the end of it, you're like, well, no, she's actually just probably just encapsulated by this like strong woman, uh, this idea of being yourself and being, you know, like a princess kind of thing. She's not actually looking at it going like, oh, I want to be that pretty. I'm obsessed with makeup. I want to do this, that and the other. She likes the idea of like performing and dancing and, and being able to be on a stage, which I think is great. And and the fact that also 
Alan Arkin won for playing Grandpa, you know, the best supporting actor. That also shows that he's kind of that mental figure because, or shows a lot of Hollywood and, you know, the reaction to this film was that he's the mental figure because usually the those awards very much go to the, the mental figures when they're in a supporting role like that, you know, like we've seen in just the year gone with uh, young Yu Jung and Minari, but even like loads of films in the past, it's usually that more like legacy older actor who's playing like a mentor or teacher to another character. Including uh, my boy. <laughs> I know, I was going to mention him, but I was like, well, you know, some people could say it's maybe not the best teacher technique, but it's definitely an example of that. I mean, in terms of the archetype, that's definitely what they're going for. It's just they're going for their, going for it in the subvers- uh, subversive, oh yeah, he's awful so uh we'll go now to the movie vault just because this can kind of encapsulate the legacy and influence of this film so kelly what what's your feelings on whether little miss sunshine should go into the movie vault and is there anything you want to add in terms of like how how you think it's influenced other films and the kind of you know similar similar movies that are out there obviously we're just focusing on this one today but yeah, I think when you look at it in terms of how it is as a hero's journey, a road trip movie, a family movie, a a drama in places, like the comedy aspects as well, it really hits all of the buttons that it wants to. I think it's testament to the script, the directing's beautiful, um, all of the characters, all of the actors hold their own in all those scenes where they're all shouting over the top of each other. Each one is sort of a masterclass in how to give it as much as you need to and take take what you need. I personally would throw it in the movie vault immediately because it is one of my absolute favourites. I can't think off the top of my head of any films where I'm like, that is exactly influenced by Little Miss Sunshine. But that's probably just just me. There's probably some that are definitely like, I know exactly where that's come from. But I think for all of what it set out to achieve, it hits every single time. Yeah, no, you're right in some of the ways of the influentialness. I think similar, they had the courage to make a lot more similar kind of awards fair and like kind of lighter stories and more like realistic American families, which I've always appreciated. I think like Ladybird is maybe a good example, but there's nothing that you can kind of say, oh, that's directly like the same kind of film. Because like, I think like even IMDb or something would bring up something like Juno or something. You're like, that's quite a different film. So yeah, I think it, it very much is like individual, but it's just the style and type of film is maybe something that they continue to do. Maybe you have more ambition to do. Uh, Shelley, what, what's your thoughts? Um, in terms of legacy, like on the production side, so the, the part of Frank... The uncle was written with Bill Murray in mind and there was also apparently studio pressure for Robin Williams or any other Hollywood film that Steve Carell had done and they really took a chance on him because they met with him and he just seemed to really get what the character who the character was and what they were trying to do with him Um, and so I think you know that being his first proper blockbustery film even though it was made on a really small budget for for what it was um yeah i think that's that's kind of a a legacy we owe to it as well the uh the comedy 
but poignant, dramatic stylings of Steve Carell at times. Um, it kind of launched him into the sphere of, of having bigger scripts sent to him and, and being considered for more. Um, and I, yeah, I just think he's brilliant for the role. I can't imagine, although I love Bill Murray and Robin Williams, I, I can't picture them as Frank. Frank is Steve Carell. Um, so that's, that's what I wanted to say about Legacy. And also they did a musical, which was like off Broadway and off West End. I haven't heard any of the songs or anything from it. Always a sign of success if you get a musical, though. <laughs> yeah. It toured through Cardiff a couple of years ago. Did it? Yeah, it did new theatre in oh, Cardiff, okay. which is quite interesting. So it did sort of smaller theatres, but everything yeah. that I've I've sort of heard about it is people love it. Oh, okay. Which is quite nice to hear. Oh, that's good. Yeah, because I, I was worried when I saw it hadn't gone on Broadway or West End. It was just tours, but perhaps it was a bit like the Lord of the Rings musical. Um, <laughs> but yeah, in terms of if it should go in the vault, I think it's an obvious one from me. Yes, yes, yes. Put it in now. Great. Is there really much else that needs to be said at this point? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Snooty. <laughs> Call him Mr. Sunshine. I, did, I th- it, did it make you happy? Yeah, Mr. Happy. Did it uplift you? Mr. Uplifted. I think interestingly as well, though, in Legacy, and Craig might be interested in this, is the directors, which we haven't mentioned, which is Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Farris. Uh, they actually directed as well one of my favorite films from 2017, 2018, which was Battle of the Sexes. And they also uh, directed Ruby Sparks. So there's a lot of similarities there in the projects that they've done in terms of like, you know, these bold female hero- heroic characters. They're a married just, couple, aren't they, I think? And they yeah. used to do... This was their first feature film. They used to do music videos, like you said. Yeah, and they still do a lot of that to this day and kind of like television and stuff. But yeah, Battle of the Sexes, you can definitely tell that they have their kind of style and their tone, which I really like. I, I, I kind of sort of dig. That film didn't do as well, but, you know, and again, it's another one with with Steve Carell. But yeah, I'd, I'd be happy for it to go in the movie vault because I think that, you know, it... it it skyrocketed so many people's careers. It's such a feel-good film. It's got such a great script, and it's just great as, as we said, as a kind of symbol of road trip movies, family dramas, and yeah, just having a, a great sort of message at his heart. So, into the movie vault goes Little Miss Sunshine. boys and girls it's endgame time in this week's endgame we will be playing little miss endgame because we decided we wanted to carry on the theme of the the mr men and little miss series so in this game what are we going to be doing today boys and girls well i've decided to take a number of films and characters and rewrite them in the style of the mr men and little miss series and it's up to you, boys and girls, or should I just say girls, because David would not be playing, to work out which film and character for both points 
It's being described in this scene. Okay. We, okay. We I don't s- like this character, by the way. <laughs> this I'm character. very uncanny valley. <laughs> Go back to Mr. Snooty. Bring back Snooty. You're Mr. Creepy now. <laughs> <laughs> we have seven stories for you to hear today. And in a twist, we're going to let you choose the order in which you hear the stories. So here are the stories you can hear today. We have Mr. Funny. Mr. Adventure, Little Miss Dotty, Little Miss Scary, Mr. Forgetful, Mr. Nosy, and Little Miss Stubborn. So to start, Kelly, as you have not been disrespectful to my character, which story would you like to hear first? Um, I think we'll go for Mr. Forgetful. An excellent suggestion. So, boys and girls, here we have the reading. Oh, if I could also ask if you could please send me your answers in a private message, and then we'll get you to reveal later on. It'll be the person who sends me the correct answer first who gets the points. So, are you ready, boy and girls? Yeah. Mr. Forgetful by Cray MacDonald. Mr. Forgetful was a strange creature indeed. Spent all of his time trying to work out who he was and where their friends were in the world. One day, he happened upon a friend called Mr. Clown, who was desperately looking for a member of his family. Mr. Forgetful agreed to help out because Mr. Forgetful, despite being forgetful, knew that he was a kind-hearted person or creature. They ended up going on a series of adventures where they met a number of interesting characters. They met Mr. Teeth, the leader of a group, a violent group. They met Mr. Sign, a group willing to help them on their way. And finally, they met Mr. Sherman. So that is all for this first story. And I can already see that we've had one answer in. Shelley, would you like to tell us who you think that character is? I was so confused by the Mr. Clown at first, uh, but I, I believe it's Dory from Finding Nemo. What an excellent answer. And Kelly, who do you believe it is? I think it's Dory from Finding Nemo. So you've both gone for Dory from Finding Nemo, and I can happily say that you are both. So you are both correct, but who was able to send me the correct answer first? Well, I can say the first point goes to Shelley. Thank you. It took me an embarrassingly long time to get that. Congratulations, Shadley. David, could you be a, uh, a nice little pest and keep the scores for us, please? Don't get them wrong. Mm-hmm. wrong. <laughs> Shelley, which, sto- which story would you like to hear next? Um, was there a Little Miss Dotty? A Little Miss Dotty. Yes, yeah. there is. Little Miss Dotty by Craig MacDonald. 
Little Miss Dotty enjoyed her life living within the suburbs of London. One day, her and a friend went for a walk in the park, where they happened upon Mr. Dotty and his companion, Mr. Mayhem. Eventually, Miss, uh, Little Miss Dotty ended up in a relationship with Mr. Dotty, and they had a beautiful collection of children. Until one day, a terrifying villain entered their lives. Little Miss Coat. Little Miss Coat was determined to break up the family for her own nefarious means. But thankfully, because of their wide network of friends, she was stopped. So, Kelly, would you like to say who you think is being described? Um, Padita from 101 Dalmatians. What a fantastic answer. And Shelley? I said the same, but not until the end, because I didn't get it for a long time. <laughs> so you are both. And Kelly was the fastest. Is that just one point to Kelly? What was it then? So as they both got uh, the character and the film correct, they get a, uh, they get a point each for those, and then the fastest gets an additional point. Oh. So at this point, <laughs> the scores should be tied. This is stressful. I don't like the it time is. element. I want I want some of these characters in the Mister and Little Miss series now. Mrs. Little Miss Coat. <laughs> like, Little Miss Coat was like. <laughs> Mr. 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 Mayhem. Mr. Teeth would be quite scary. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly, which story would you like to hear next? I think we'll go for Mr. Adventure. Mr. Adventure, one of my favourite stories, boy and girls. Mr. Adventure by Craig MacDonald. Mr. Adventure wasn't always adventurous. In fact, he enjoyed a lovely cosy life in a beautiful countryside village until one day an old friend of his mr magic and a group of his friends turned up at his door begging for his help they needed his help to get back something that his friends had lost specifically their homes from an awful creature mr fire at first mr adventure wasn't feeling up to the task But eventually he decided to help and he got his name by his great first expression of I'm going on an adventure. So, Kelly, who did you go for? I just retconned my initial with Bilbo from The Hobbit. I'm very sorry, but I have to go with You have to take my first answer. I'm very sorry, my dear, but I do. (laughs) They, they were not stipulated, Mr. <laughs> Grumpy. Harsh. However, I put Frodo from Lord of the Rings. Harsh on boy and girls. Boy and girls. Yeah. Very, very harsh. I'll leave it up to the class. Are you happy for me to accept the answer <laughs> so long as I haven't finished the story? Yeah. Okay, in that case, I will accept. It's, it's five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> no, I do, I do, I do. So we have uh, Bilbo from The Hobbit. Shelley? Yeah, I put Bilbo Baggins, The Hobbit. You are both? And Shelley sends me the, ans- the, the correct answer immediately. So Shelley gets 
I mean, to be fair, I've literally got my cat who's called Bilbo here, so if I can get it right. Here he is. That's Mr. Adventure. Mr. Adventure. He's scared of Mr. Fire. I know, I'm just imagining the Mr. and Mrs. series now, just like... And and then Mr. Fire came into town. Oh, God! Everything is ruined. (laughs) So, Shelley, speaking of scary, would you like to hear Little Miss Scary next? Or would you like to hear a different story? Yeah, let's go scary. Little Miss Scary. Little Miss Scary by Craig MacDonald. Little Miss Scary lived in a beautiful forest where she took it upon herself to protect her friends. Until one day, a beautiful prince called Mr. Prince ended up entering into the woods and they became very good friends. Until one day, he betrayed her because he was after he wanted to replace Mr. King as Mr. King. Once she found out, she was awfully angry and became even scarier than usual. She heard that a birthday party for his daughter, Little Miss Baby, was (laughs) was taking place. Little Miss Baby's the best one. I know I've lost this one because I haven't even sent it yet because I can't type from laughing. So she decided to pay this birthday party a visit where, despite being scary, she did get the baby, the Little Miss Baby, a birthday present, which was the fret of death. Little Miss Death. <laughs> Kelly, would you like to say your answer? <laughs> Maleficent from Maleficent. And Shelley? I put Maleficent from Maleficent. <laughs> <laughs> and then I wrote help. <laughs> <laughs> so you are both. <sighs> and the bonus speed point goes to Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> So David, at this point, can you confirm what the scores are? Yeah, it's uh, tied 5 all. <laughs> nice. And Kelly, would you like to hear now? Uh, Mr. Nosy. Mr. Nosy, a fantastic story. Mr. Nosy by Craig MacDonald. Mr. Nosy had a very important job. It was his goal to protect his home by finding out what his enemies were up to. So he would do this in a number of ways. He would pretend to be somebody he wasn't. He would go and talk and get gadgets from his wonderful friends, Mr. M and Mr. Q. And he would also make very good friends with a lot of people, often whom had very weird names, like Little Miss Pussy Galore, Shelley, who did you say this was? James Bond. From, I put Octopussy, but I was just thinking the franchise in general. But when you said Pussy Galore, I think that's Octopussy. I don't know. Kelly, who did you go for? 
I went for James Bond from James Bond. The- yeah, I was going to write that. <laughs> I was waiting for the context clue of like which one it was. So we are accepting franchise. So James Bond from James Bond is. And Kelly gets the speed point. Wow. Be hard to. Uh differentiate those would be like and then little miss m died okay i know which one (laughs) (laughs) so we have two stories left shelly would you like little miss stubborn (laughs) she said stubbornly (laughs) no i'm not (laughs) little miss stubborn by craig mcdonald little miss stubborn argued a lot with her family They wanted her to go off and make very good friends with any of the eligible men in her area. She did not want that because she had different plans. One day, her father, Mr. Father, was called to battle, a battle that she felt he could not win. So she decided to take it upon herself to fight. She was so stubborn, she would not change her stance for anyone, although she was willing to change her appearance. Kelly, who do you think this was? Is it Mulan from Mulan? Shelley? Yeah, I put that second, but at first I put Merida from Brave. And I'm angry about it. So... (laughs) Is the answer now Mul- I've lost. Is the answer Mulan? Uh. It is indeed Mulan, and Kelly gets the speed point. Uh. <laughs> Let me win this last one to save face. Please go for it. So <laughs> our final story. <laughs> our final story is my favorite story of the bunch. So I'm very glad, boy and girls, that it's been saved for our finale. Mr. Funny. By Craig MacDonald. Mr. Funny was very funny, but not in the way that you'd expect. For you see, he wanted to be the real Mr. Funny, but not many people found him funny at all, which was sad because he needed the money to support his mother, Little Miss Sick Woman. It's quite rude to inter- interrupt a storyteller like this. Sorry, sir. Apologies. I am Little Miss Giggles, though. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, many people thought he was funny, but not for the reasons he intended. So they wanted to speak to him and let him tell his jokes to everyone in the world. Mr. Funny thought this was a great chance, although. He eventually saw the people were actually mocking him and not taking him very seriously at all. So he decided to get his revenge. He met with the people who wanted to give him this chance. And I'm sad to say, boy and girls, that he did something very foolish. He took out his anger on these people, claiming 
using some very bad language, but they would get what they deserve. Many people respected the way in which he he saw the will and joined him. So although Mr. Funny wasn't thought as very funny, they did think him very, very influential. So Kelly, who do you think this was? The Joker from Joker. And Shelley? Joker from Joker, which I'm glad I wrote before you said Little Miss Sick Woman, because I wouldn't have been able to type that. I, I wanted to hear the whole story, so I had it from like fairly early on, but I was like, no, I'm not going to send it yet. I'm going to wait and hear the whole story. So it was indeed Joker, although he, he does have a name. I figured it's important to acknowledge his name is Arthur Fleck. Yeah. Um, the speed point for that one goes to Shelley. So, da- so David, my dear, would you like to tell us the final scores? I believe it was a close one, but it was uh, Kelly with 10 and Shelley behind with 9. Ooh, well done. Good game, good game. I'm glad I got them all right, though. And that, conclu- and that concludes our end game for today, boy and girls. I wish you the best nights. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Out of character. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, I'm not sure about the validity of these books. They're all written by Craig McDonald. I think something suspicious is going on here. He's just like a very good choice. to write? Oh, no, you said, no, but when you said a very good choice book written by Craig McDonald, of course you're gonna think that. You wrote them. You're like a uni lecturer who only puts his own books on the reading list. (laughs) Let's not forget that this is my realm and I can do whatever I want with it. Though I do think that. Uh, Mr. Funny should have had uh, Mr. Robert De Niro <laughs> so, as maybe one of the friends that he treated badly. But but we, of course, have many highlights during that. Miss, Mr. Fire, Phil Miss Sick Woman, Phil Miss, Phil Miss Baby. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, yeah, thank you for that, Craig. And uh, well done to Kelly and to Shelley for, again, them all right as well. Uh, very fun endgame this week. Uh, very bizarre. <laughs> very... <laughs> But, you know, it's what you expect on this podcast. So, yeah, that is our episode talking all about Little Miss Sunshine and going off on a random uh, diversion to the land of Mr. Men and Little Misses. So uh, thank you for joining us both. Uh, Obviously, Little Miss Sunshine, you can catch at the moment on Disney Plus. Another valid reason we're discussing it. I think as Star has launched recently, Little Miss Sunshine has gone up onto their streaming platform. So you can watch it there. Uh, you can also see Tony Collette in Dream Horse. <laughs> I don't know why, apparently I'm not paid by this uh, film to go to watch that, but go support cinema. Go watch Dream Horse. <laughs> Just make sure your your age settings on Disney Plus are correct. Uh, for the longest time, mine was set the lowest, so I was missing out on a lot of content. <laughs> yeah, Craig was in that uh, storybook teller mode, which he hadn't realized he had changed his settings. Um, so yeah, thank you for both joining us, guys. Uh, Kelly, where can we catch you? What have you been up to? I'm mostly over on Twitter. I'm on Letterboxd as well at Kelly Lou Bishop, talking a lot on films where I, I'm just, I watch so many weird films and I try and write at least a little something about why I enjoyed or didn't. Um, so if you're interested, it's always a fun place to be. Uh, Shelley, uh, where can we catch yourself? Um, just on Instagram as at knitwearcathair. And it's, it's all aspects of life, so plants and cats and memes. films and books and that kind of thing. <laughs> memes are plenty. <laughs> yeah, memes. <laughs> and yeah, anything lastly from yourself, Craig, before we go? 
Mr. Craig was very offended that at the beginning of this podcast, he was referred to as Mr. Snooty. He decided to take out his violent revenge the moment that Mr. David ended the podcast recording. Just bear that in mind. Uh, well, at least I wasn't called Mr. Seaward again. <laughs> we don't want that one appearing in a, in a book or in the Mr. and Mrs. Land. Uh, so, yeah, well, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, if you have any uh, fun ideas for uh, movie characters as uh, Mr. Men or Little Misses, you can message them over to us on our social medias. You can catch us at Well Good Movies over on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also catch us on freshtakehub.com slash wellgoodmovies where we have all of our podcast episodes as well as some great writing and video content so go check out all of that and yeah we'll be back with you very soon thank you once again kelly and shelly for joining us or should i say little miss helpful and little miss giggles you stuck true to the names in, in the end and uh yeah we uh look forward to chatting to you again in the future see you later guys thanks bye, guys. bye. Good night, boy and girls. <laughs> <laughs>